Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Our reading today is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 through 22. At this they wept aloud again, when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Thanks, Bruce. Well, we are in our second week of our new series, The Struggle to Hope, and it's a series in uh, the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, uh, open it up to Ruth uh, chapter 1. The reason we entitled the series A Struggle to Hope is because the title really uh, touches on uh, two themes or two things that we see that are very prominent uh, in this story that we're going to be looking at the next several weeks. Uh, The first is something that we touched on last week, something uh, that most of us are very familiar with. Uh, There are times um, when it's a struggle to hope. There are times when it's a struggle to hope. And certainly we see that, especially in, in the first chapter uh, of this book, as um, Naomi um, loses her husband, uh, and then her two sons, uh, who are uh, married to two Moabite women, um, who they met when the family fled uh, from uh, Bethlehem, Uh, during a famine uh, to Moab. Uh, It was there that the husband died, the sons marry Moabite women, the sons then die. And so Naomi is left destitute, a widow, childless, with two daughters-in-laws that are also widows. And for Naomi, 
she had no immediate uh, male family member uh, or extended family member um, to care for her. For Naomi, we see a couple of things. One, we see not only a struggle to hope, but in that struggle, she has hope for her daughters-in-law. She encourages them to stay in Moab. They're, they're young enough to remarry and, and uh, to start their lives again. But for herself, she sees herself as an older woman, and she has absolutely no hope for herself. And so you might remember last week, uh, we touched on a couple of points. One is that <clears throat> amidst, in the midst of her struggle to hope, Naomi maintained hope for her daughters-in-law. She had hope for them. And she had God's hope for them. But then as she went on to talk about herself, and as three times in the narrative, she encourages them to stay with their people and not to return with her um, to Bethlehem, to Israel. Um, she, uh, she says she has no hope for herself. And so we talked about that, how sometimes we can have hope for others. We can hold out hope for those that we love, those that we care about, but then have no hope for ourselves. We can look to others and, and believe that somehow God can work in their life. God can transcend the difficulties and the circumstances that they find themselves in. But then when they or we look at ourselves in the mirror, we say, but I'm not sure, God, that you can do that for me. I know that you can do it for him or for her, and I believe that. But right now I'm really struggling to believe that you can come through for me. And in Naomi's case, um, as we see in the narrative, uh, her name, Naomi, means pleasant or pleasant one. And yet in the, in the story, in the verses we read today, she says, why do you call me Naomi, or why do you call me pleasant? Uh, my name is Mara, which means bitter. Why, why do you call me pleasant? Because really, uh, I'm in a bitter situation, and that reflects her hopelessness. Okay? So we talked about that um, last week. Um, one of the things I want to commend to you as we go through this and as we talk about this, perhaps you are um, struggling. Perhaps you are feeling like um, Naomi. You're going through a season in life right now or it's a, a struggle to hope. Well, the second meaning of the title of the sermon series is that it's the struggle to hope that in our struggle, in the adversities, in the trials, in the difficulties that we face, in those times when we say, why do you call me pleasant? My name really is bitter. Things are really hard right now. It's, it's in that time as we struggle that we can find hope. 
so that in the struggle to hope, we experience a struggle that leads us to hope. And uh, if you're in that position, or you know somebody that is, um, I just want to commend you this book. It's by Philip Yancey. It's called, Where is God When It Hurts? A Comforting Healing Guide for Coping with Hard Times. Okay? And uh, Yancey, in this book, um, talks about that. And, and he provides um, biblical, scriptural, practical um, help for those of us who are saying, God, where are you right now? What's going on? This is a, a really, really good book. And so I just want to commend that to you. Um, not that it'll make your struggle any easier, um, but it'll help you make sense uh, of your struggle. And so in the story of Ruth, which, by the way, I, I said last week is one of only two books in the scripture that bear the name of a woman. There's Esther is one and Ruth uh, is the other. And in this book, we, we really become acquainted one, with Naomi and with Ruth. They're two central characters, um, but they really point to the central character, uh, who is God, and uh, God ultimately is going to be the source of hope. But as we encounter them, we get a unique perspective. Uh, we get their perspective. We get a woman's perspective, if you will, um, in into their lives. Uh, into their understanding of their situation and of their understanding of God. All those things are here uh, in, in the book. Nobody's sure who wrote this book. Some have attributed it to Samuel. Uh, and yet the book itself would give evidence that it was written either towards the end or after his life. And so we really don't know who wrote this. But we do know this. This book appears in the scripture um, because it's a book that helps us understand where is God in the midst of hardship and trial. <clears throat> that God is sovereign and that God works providentially in our lives. Uh, even when it appears that he's distant or, or distant or not present at all. And certainly... Um, Naomi, that is reflected in her struggle. And yet, what this book teaches, and the reason it would be important to a Jewish audience that would read it, would be that amidst the tumult and the turmoil and the struggle and, and all of the things that the Jewish people as a nation were experiencing, times when God seemed very near and times when God seemed very distant, that God was sovereign and that God had a plan and his plan that we see through scripture is to fulfill um, his covenant that he made with his people. And really it's that covenant that we're going to see in the passage today that it's present. I'll show it to you. You don't see it at first. But, but that's the basis of, of hope that leads Ruth uh, to cling to her mother-in-law and not abandon her. 
to go with her back to Bethlehem uh, rather than leave her as did her other daughter-in-law, Orpah. And so it is Naomi in her struggle to hope that she finds hope from Ruth whose ultimate hope is in the covenant promises of God. Now where does she get that as a, as a Moabite woman? Well, she received it from the faith of her mother-in-law, from the faith of her husband and her brother-in-law previously to, previous to their death. And so it's easy to give Naomi a, a bad rap here, isn't it? It's easy. Say, where's your faith? What's wrong with you? And to kind of point the finger at her. And yet the fact that her daughter-in-law, Ruth, in this desperate, desperate time, would turn not to the Moabite gods, but to the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the God of her, uh, her mother-in-law, the God of her husband, uh, is an indication that they, and in particular Naomi, had a very powerful witness and influence in the life uh, of Ruth. And so we have to stop here and uh, have to give Naomi the credit that, that she deserves. Because obviously God was working through her. Uh, and as a result of that, we see uh, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, come to faith uh, in her God and exercise that faith by clinging uh, to her, her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi. So that's a really important point to make. And, and you know what? There are some times when we struggle in our faith. Correct? And we say, well, look at us. What kind of witness is that? Well, what kind of witness is that? Because it's authentic and it's real and it's, it's a part of what we all experience. In our case, as Christ followers. And being Christ's followers doesn't exclude us from a struggle to hope or the struggle to hope. Uh, in fact, being Christ's followers uh, gives a, a whole new perspective and purpose in that struggle. Remember last week I made a, a statement um, that Christianity gives meaning to suffering, to trials, to hardship. Okay, uh, And so, if you're struggling, if you're a Naomi today, um, the reality is that as people look at your struggle, and as people look at your struggle to hope, and as your hope is in God, people see that. And they say, I want that for my life. I want that because there are times where maybe I'm struggling and so don't disqualify yourself. Don't point the finger at yourself. Don't say, well, what kind of follower of Christ am I right now? I'm really struggling. Um, because people see the authenticity of your struggle. And that can be a powerful witness, a powerful witness that leads them to the one who ultimately is a source of hope. 
There's a passage in the Old Testament, it's Psalm 45, uh, well actually it's in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, 5. It reads this, Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I was interviewing for um, with a search committee for a church years ago, pastoral search committee, and I'll never forget a question they asked me. They said, what is your greatest strength? That's a pretty common question. But what I said to them, I think surprised them, and it may surprise you. My greatest strength has been my brokenness. Because out of my brokenness, that my strengths have developed. Does that make sense? Um, The greatest growth, intimacy with God and, and, and with Christ has come in my life through some severe times, some times of testing and trial and hardship. And it's during those times when I've been struggling to hope that that struggle has led me to hope. It has brought me to a place where I'm able to say, you know, I had hope in this, or I hope hope in that, or I had hope in him, or I had hope in her, or I had hope in this circumstance that this might happen or might not happen. But what I came to realize, what I've come to realize in life, is when we realize that all those sources of hope, those things that we reach out for and and, and, and try to, to keep us buoyant in life, ultimately, they're going to fail us. There's only one source of hope that doesn't fail. And that's when our hope is in God. That's what the psalmist is saying. Why so downcast? Why are you disturbed, soul, within me? Put your hope in God. And so to the extent for me that in my brokenness I've learned to let go of false gods in my life and have been driven to hold on to the true God and put my hope in Him, my brokenness has benefited me. It's benefited me. And I I think in our book of Ruth, what we see in the brokenness that's there for Naomi and even for Ruth, that they are going to encounter the providence of God, a sovereign God who's at work, they're going to find that all the things that they had previously placed their hope in have failed them, but they're going to find that God is true to his promises. And that in the experience that they're having in their own individual lives, God is not only going to care for them, but he 
through them is going to fulfill a much greater promise that he made, a covenant promise to his people. So that in the midst of what seems to be a hopeless situation, God is at work. And God's at work not only in the lives of these two women, but God is going to be at work in the life of a, of a nation. And ultimately, God's at work as a result of this in your life, in my life, as we'll see as we go into this study. That we see the path to your salvation and mine travels right through the book of Ruth. It's amazing. Now, why would this be important? Because this is written during the, or that, not written, but the, the experiences that are happening here with Ruth and Naomi is going on during the time of the judges. And it's during the time of the judges that there was spiritual, social, and political unrest. It's ironic that in this unrest, and, and in a way, what's happening in Naomi and Ruth's life kind of mirrors the unrest of, of the nation, Right? They're, they're, they're in Moab, but they're coming now back to Bethlehem. But it's in that unrest, as we end the book of Judges, which says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit, or everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It, it was people struggling for hope, but not really grasping the true source of hope, who's God. But in that struggle, they were left wanting a king. Because after the book of Ruth, we get into 1 Samuel. And what are the people asking for in 1 Samuel? They're done doing what's right in their own eyes because they know that doesn't work. In all their artificial attempts and sources of hope that they've created uh, have been hollow and empty. And so it drives them to a place where they say, we want a king like everyone else. We're tired of trying to do it on our own. And of course, that would be a wonderful opportunity. God says, great, I want to be your king. I want, right? But what do they do in Samuel? They say, no, 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 no. No, not not God. We we want a, a king, a human king. Like all the other nations and people around us. Right? And of course, they get... Saul, and eventually it leads to David. So you see Ruth bookended. And, and the story of Ruth really uh, is reflective of the story of the nation. But let's look here at our verses today. In verse 14, it says, As they wept aloud, this is the, the daughters-in-law Naomi, it says, as they wept aloud again, then Orpah, whose name means stubborn, that's her name, stubborn, names play an important part in the story here, whose name means stubborn, Orpah, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Okay? So during the story, as, as Ruth, or excuse me, as Naomi is telling her daughters-in-law, no, go back, there's hope for you, you know, you, you, it's not too late, you can remarry, all these things. Um, 
Orpah, she's stubborn. And she refuses to go. Until the last time that Naomi encourages. And then her stubbornness isn't enough. And so it's Orpah, the stubborn one, that kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. Okay? But it's Ruth, whose name means friendship. Friendship. Who clings to her. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And you might recall last week I shared that really what was happening was that hope was clinging to Naomi. And whose hope was it? Well, what follows is going to give us uh, a clue and an indication of whose hope it is that is clinging to Naomi. Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now, verse 16. This is, this is the verse 16 and 17 um, are the verses that this book is really known for. Uh, sometimes what Ruth is about to say to Naomi is repeated or said uh, as a part of wedding vows and wedding ceremonies. Perhaps you've heard uh, or been to a ceremony where this has been read. But Ruth replied, verse 16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now let's just stop right there. There's a a declaration that's being made here. Throughout Scripture, beginning beginning in Genesis, when God makes a a covenant with Abraham, all the way to the end in Revelation 21, God says this, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a covenant that God made. And it's a promise that God made. And so let's read what Ruth says again to Naomi. Can, can you hear the influence of the covenant that the Jewish people would have understood God had made with them? Could you see the influence of that in Ruth's life that ultimately leads her to stay with her mother-in-law and to convert to the God of her mother-in-law. Let me read it again. She says, Your people will be my people and your God my God. Her God in her new faith is the God that said, You will be my people and I will be your God. 
And so what we see here is the hope that clings to Naomi through Ruth is really the covenant hope. The promise that God made with the Jewish people. And and that hope is resonant in Ruth. Because she's turned to that hope. She's turned to God. She's abandoned the false gods of the Moabite people and turned and given her heart and life to the God of the Jewish people. And so Ruth's hope is grounded in the covenant promises of God. And in her own struggle with her mother-in-law, she recognizes that her God... Right? Her new God, the God, the true God, is a God who is sovereign, is a God who fulfills and keeps his promises. And it's in that that she finds hope. And it's that hope that leads her to cling, to cling to Naomi. What goes on? Where you die, verse 17, I will die, and there I will be buried. It, it's not uncommon in, in Jewish culture um, for, for people, multiple family members to be buried in one tomb or a place. Okay? And so she's saying, basically, I'm going to live my life with you, and I'm going to be buried with you. That's my commitment. To you. And then she does something very interesting. She makes an oath. And she makes an oath to the Lord, which really is representative of the seriousness of her conversion and her new faith. She says, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You and me. And and so the hope that clings, the hope that that you and I have, that, that, that sticks, that doesn't abandon us, the hope that's true, the hope that's certain, the hope that's sure, is a hope that's grounded and rooted in the one true God, in His faithfulness and in His promises. The God who transcends time, space, life itself, history as we know it, to fulfill his promise to you and to me. Fascinating. And this is all pointing to the fulfillment of what the Lord said to Abraham um, that, you know, your descendants are, they, they are going to be multiplied. I mean, you, you're not going to be able to count them. And through you and, and your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Speaking of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. 
you see? And that promise is being fulfilled in the book of Ruth, as we'll see as we read on. But let's continue to read. Verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Remember, um, Bethlehem means uh, the, the place or the house of food or bread. Now, they left Bethlehem because of a famine. They lived in, in Moab, across the Dead Sea. But when there was a famine in her life, a spiritual famine, a crisis of faith and hope, a struggle to hope, she returns to the house of bread, okay, because she knows that the famine there is over. And so she's going back to the house of bread, the place she left during a famine, to be fed, ostensibly food, to be able to live. But God wants to fill her life in a way she doesn't expect. God wants to feed her hope and give her a future beyond what she was returning for. She didn't see it. And that's so often the case with us, isn't it? That we don't see God at work. It's only later on we look back and we say, oh yeah, God was doing something there. I didn't realize it at the time. So, the women went back until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. Now, commentators say the reason they stirred wasn't that Naomi was back, is that Ruth was with her. She brought a Moabite with her. Okay? They historically were enemies of the Jewish people. And, and, and what is this devout woman, Naomi, doing bringing a Moabite with her? That's startling. That's out of the ordinary. It's unusual. And so the whole town stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Is this her? The one that left so many years ago? In verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She told them, call me Mara, bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. She left with a husband and two sons. But I have come back. He has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest was beginning. That's by April or May. Okay? That's when they're returning. Well, something I want to point out to you is this, that in the Jewish faith of this time, and this is true in Job, I know the, the men's Bible study just completed their term, but they're studying the book of Job. Job's friends went to them and said, what did you do to deserve this? For surely the God has brought this on you because of something you've done. And it was very common in this time to believe that anything 
that happened to you that was negative, uh, if there was hardship or trial, it's as a result of the chastisement of the Lord, you must have done something to deserve this. And so what you hear Naomi saying is really reflecting that understanding. I don't know what I did, but I must have done something. Right? And, and so that's reflecting uh, her understanding. That isn't necessarily necessary reflecting um, that every time something bad happens to us is because we've done something to deserve it. Okay? That's not what I want you to take from there. What I want you to take from there is that was her understanding of how God worked with his people. Okay? But in the time we have remaining, it's just a, a, a few minutes. I want to I share with you something that I came across. Um, it has to deal with friendship. And what we see here is Ruth, her name means friendship. And she befriends her mother-in-law, Naomi, in a deep and powerful way. And in, in her, the covenant hope and promise of God clings to Naomi. So I want to talk about the six costs of real friendships, okay? Just quickly here. Presbyterian minister J.R. Miller, back in the 19th century, he was a Presbyterian pastor and scholar. He wrote these words. If you go back, there you go. To become another's friend in the true sense is to take the other into such close living relationship that his life and our lives are knit together as one. It is far more than a pleasant companionship in bright, sunny hours. A genuine friendship is entirely unselfish. It speaks or seeks no benefit or good of its own. It does not love for what it may receive, but for what it may give. The aim is not to be served, but to serve. And then he goes on to quote Mark 1045, where, where Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Right? And that's what he's quoting there. And, and in a way, if we look at the story of, of Ruth and Naomi, Ruth gives her life. Ruth gives her unconditional friendship and love to her mother-in-law, Naomi, when she could have turned back and, and returned to her own people. Where there was some promise and some future there for her. But what does she do? She chooses to serve. She chooses to give her life, if you will, to Naomi. And in giving her life, the word ransom, if you will, she pays a price so that her mother-in-law might have hope and be reminded of the hope that exists in God, the covenant God of her people, Naomi's people. So here are the six costs. This is by Jen Thorne. The first is that Friendship costs personal convenience. The second is friendship costs time. The third is friendship costs intimacy. The fourth is that friendship costs comfort. 
The fifth is that friendship costs prayer. And the sixth is that friendship costs love. And so the question I have for you is, are those qualities, do they exist in your friendships? And if we look into the book of Ruth, we see these friendships or these qualities of friendship that are present throughout the book in the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Finally, Gene Veneer, he's the founder of a movement you may be familiar with. It's called La Arche. That's French for the Ark. And what he started in the 60s was a series of residential homes for people with developmental disabilities where they would live in community together with others who would help care for them. Henry Nouwen, in his uh, book, In the Name of Jesus, talks about his experience from being a, a Catholic priest and biblical scholar and teaching at universities to actually living in one of those communities and how he encountered Christ there in a way that he had never encountered Christ before. But this is what Jean or Jean Venier says. He says, wounded people who have been broken by suffering and sickness ask for only one thing, a heart that loves and commits itself to them. A heart full of hope for them. Who are you being a Ruth to today? There are people all around that are Naomi. And they're looking for a Ruth. Uh, They're looking for someone to point them to the ultimate source of love and hope. And that's Jesus Christ. And so, I want to close where I began. Psalm 42, 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God, my Savior, and my God.